I'm going to be reading from Colossians 1, um, page 1015, reading 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm sure if you are like most people, you've had the experience of sitting to pray or spending some time wanting to pray and not knowing what to say. To God. You want to pray and you just don't know what words to say. You can't think of what to pray for. And it's a pretty common experience if you've had that before. You're not abnormal. And I think in those situations, one of the best things to do is to look at the Bible and some of the Bible's examples of people praying. And one of the best examples we have in the Bible is in Colossians chapter 1. It's Paul praying. And it is a fantastic prayer. It's a fantastic prayer. Remember, One of the surprising things is Paul's talking about people he's never met. He's praying for people he's never met. I don't often pray for people I've never met before, but Paul does. The other surprising thing is that normally when you and I pray, we most of the time tend to pray when we are in trouble or when we are finding things hard. You know, when we feel the the end of our energies, we rely on God and pray to God, and that's so good. But often it's when things are going really well that we forget to pray, you know, those times. When things are all going great, that's when we forget to pray. Well, Paul, he's praying for the Colossians, and things are going great. It's not like there's some kind of messed up church, like the Corinthian church, where, you know, someone's sleeping with their mother-in-law, and he just goes, God, i got to pray. It's not like that. The Colossians, he starts his prayer, and he's just thanking God, because they have 
a deep faith in God and they have a love for one another and they have a hope in Jesus and he's just thanking God. Things are going great. And he talks not just about how Jesus is bearing fruit in their life, but Jesus is bearing fruit around the world. But for Paul, he wants more. He wants more. He wants to go deeper. He wants the Colossians to go deeper. And that's what we need, to keep going deeper into Jesus, keep wanting more of Jesus, more fruit, more faith, more hope, more love. And so Paul's praying for the Colossians that they keep going deeper into all that Jesus is for them. And so he prays this prayer. From verse 9 to 13, after giving thanks for the Colossians, he prays for them and prays a wonderful prayer that is, I think, Christ-shaped. The whole book's Christ-shaped. This prayer is Christ-shaped, that they go deeper into Jesus. And can I say, I think this is a great prayer for us to pray for ourselves. A great prayer for us to pray for our family, for our friends, for our connect group. It's a great prayer to memorize. So let's have a look at this prayer that Paul prays. Four things he prays. There's so many things we could look at. We're just going to look at four. Four things he prays. Number one, Paul prays that they would know God's will. That they'd know God's will. Have a look down at verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, I am a hopeless decision maker. I'm just hopeless. I'm always having trouble making decisions. I'm the kind of person, if you go out for lunch with me and I'm there with the menu, I'm the person that orders last and the food comes out and I've still got food envy. I'm never happy with what I decide. Anyone like me? A few people? It's even worse with the big things in life, you know, those big decisions. Uh, Christine always groans because whenever we have to make a decision together as a family, I've got a decision-making app. I really do. I can show you it after. I can tell you about it. It's quite handy. It doesn't make the decisions for you, unfortunately. Um, but it just, you know, just shows how much I just obsess and just have trouble making uh, those big decisions. And if you're anyone, anything like me, you know, you go through those moments and you just wish God would just tell you his will. You know those moments? You just wish that God would send a voice from the sky saying, take that job, move to that suburb, marry that person. Or that you just see written up in the sky, pick the chicken parmigiana. That'll be a good choice. And when Paul is praying that the Colossians know God's will, you know, he's, he's actually not talking about that kind of will. Yes, God knows and has a will for each of our lives, each minute decision we make. And can I say, he sometimes does reveal it. He really does. I know plenty of stories of people in our church who have heard God speak to them and give them direction and, and, and reveal things about decisions they should make. God does that. But can I say this? I don't think that's the norm. I don't think that's the norm. I don't say that in any way to discourage anyone in this room. I don't say that in any way to minimize God and what he can do. But I don't think that's the norm. I don't think God promises to reveal to us 
the, his will about every single decision we make in our lives. Yeah, it's not like we're living in one of those choose-your-own-adventure books that you used to read as a kid. You know those books where it's like, if you want to go through the red door, go to page 30. If you want to go through the blue door, go to page 90. So you turn to page 90 and you realize you made the wrong decision. God's not like that. It's not like if we make the wrong decision out of his will, then we'll be kind of out of sync with what he wanted us to do. God's not some kind of sneaky God that expects us to discover his will for every decision we make. Otherwise, we've stuffed it all up. He sometimes reveals those things, but he doesn't promise to. In fact, often we'll only know God's specific will for decisions in our life after the case. So when I was 18 and praying to God, saying, God, should I ask this girl out from uni? Is she the one? God, would you just reveal your will to me? It was only when I asked her out in the back streets of Glebe and she laughed and said, we're just friends. It was only then that I realized it wasn't God's will for me to date her at that moment. But he wasn't going to tell me that beforehand. I wish he did. It would have saved me a bit of embarrassment, but he didn't. So when Paul is here praying that the Colossians know God's will, he's praying about some kind of different will. He's praying about his general will for all Christians. He's, he's talking about God's will that we understand when we grasp Jesus and who Jesus is and when we grasp the implications that has on our lives and the way we should live. It's the will of God that we see first and foremost in the Bible, in the Scriptures. That's where we see what it means to live for Jesus, to serve Jesus, to obey Jesus. That's the will he's talking about. In a few points across the Bible, it talks about the will of God in that way, our obedience, our serving Jesus. Well, how do we come to know this will? Other religions and philosophies might say, if you want to get in tap with the will of the divine, you need to be enlightened or you need to go on a pilgrimage, or you need to go and spend years in study. But no, what does it say here? How do we get it? We're filled with it. We're filled with it. God's Holy Spirit fills us. Fills us with a knowledge of who He is, a knowledge of His will. And it comes first and foremost through the Bible as his spirit works in our hearts. So we've got to ask ourselves, do we know the scriptures? Do you know the scriptures? You come to church and you hear the Bible read. Are you praying, God, would you show me your will for my life? You're in connect group during the middle of the week. Open up the Bible. God, would you show me how you want me to live this week? Because God has a will for your life, for every decision you make, every action you take, and what it looks like to serve Him and live for Him and obey Him. So that's the first thing Paul prays for the Colossians. It's like the first thing that everything else in his prayer hangs off. And it's a great prayer for us to pray. God, show me your will. Show me what it means to live for you. Well, the second thing Paul prays, it's a great prayer for us, a prayer that we would please God, that we'd please God. 
See, it's one thing to know someone's will. It's one thing to know God's will. But if we knew it and didn't do anything about it and didn't actually put it into practice, we'd be hypocrites. And so Paul prays that they'd not just know God's will, but actually put it into practice. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. He follows straight on and he says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. He talks about living a life worthy of the Lord. Jesus is worthy, isn't He? He died for us. He rose again. He's worthy of all our praise. He's worthy of all our thanks. And so we want to live a life worthy of Him honouring to Him. And it's only when we know God's will that we know what it looks like to do that. He goes on. Live a life worthy of Him, pleasing Him in every way. Just think about someone you know and love, you're really close to. Maybe it's a friend or a colleague or a spouse. The more you know them, the more you know the things that they really love and please them and the things they really hate. And if you're a good friend and a good colleague, you'll try and do more of the things that they love and less of the things that they hate. It's exactly the same way with Jesus. We're growing with Jesus. We're knowing his will better. And the more we know his will, the more we know what it means to, to please him, to make him smile. That's what we're talking about here. Making God smile. Now notice, when it says pleasing him in every way, it is not saying that we're trying to please him to earn his approval. It's not like people pleasing. It's not that we want to please God because then we make God extra happy with us and then we have a chance of getting into heaven or we want to please him so that he loves us and so that we're part of his family and we earn his approval. That's not the type of pleasing we're talking about. That's contrary to Jesus. Christianity is about grace, not about earning his approval, but about his gift that he's approved us in Jesus. And I think it's great that we're not trying to earn God's approval by pleasing him. There was um, this last week I've been watching a documentary by the great Taylor Swift. Uh, anyone seen this documentary on Netflix? Oh, what? there we go, David, fantastic. Uh, she starts this documentary, she's reflecting on her career and she's reflecting on how so much of her life she has been living for the approval of others and trying to please others. And she says this, the great Taylor, she says this, you know, my entire moral code, there was a lot more likes in this, but I've cut the likes out. So just imagine that. You know, my entire moral code as a kid and now is a need to be thought of as good. That's dangerous. That's dangerous for you. It was all I wrote about. It was all I wanted. It was the complete and total belief system that I subscribed to. I'd been trained to be happy when you get a lot of praise. I'd had that praise of, Taylor, you're doing a good job at your work. Those pats on the head were all I lived for. I was so fulfilled by approval. That was it. And then she says this, but when you're living for the approval of strangers, and that is where you derive all your joy and fulfillment, one bad thing can cause everything to crumble. 
I think Taylor's right. If we were trying to live for God's approval by pleasing Him, then one bad thing, one stuff up, one failure on our part, one sin, we would risk causing everything to crumble. We'd risk stuffing it up. We'd risk missing out on heaven. We'd risk missing out on Jesus. But thank God it's not like that. That's the opposite. If you look at verse 12, scan your eyes down to verse 12 in our passage. Verse 12, Paul says this, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. How are we qualified to share in the kingdom of Jesus? Have we qualified ourselves? No. Jesus has qualified us. God gave up his son Jesus on the cross. That's how we're qualified. We are qualified, but it's not because of us. And then he goes on talking about what Jesus has done in the past tense. Verse 13, he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All past tense. Jesus has saved us. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. It's all done through Jesus. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work for it. And so when Paul says here, when he's praying in verse 10, that we would please God, it's not trying to earn God's approval. This is a pleasing that you do out of thanks. This is a pleasing that you do to someone you love because you love them. It's a response to grace. It's that cry of your heart going to God, God, how can I please you in every way? God, as I, as I watch TV tonight, how can I please you in the things I choose to watch? God, as I come home to my kids tonight, how can I please you in the way I treat them? God, as I enter this difficult meeting with someone from work who frustrates me, God, how can I please you? God, as, as, as I sit in my car in the peak hour traffic going mad, how can I please you in the way I drive? In every way, wanting to please the Father. Well, he goes on, he's talking about worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way. And then he says, bearing fruit in every good work. In Genesis chapter 1, when God made humankind, the command he gave to us all was to be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful. That command was firstly fulfilled in the nation of Israel as God's people were fruitful and multiplied and had children in the nation of Israel. But today it's fulfilled as God's people grows, as more people become Christians, and as God's people bear fruit, living for Jesus, serving Jesus, obeying Jesus. We're being fruitful. As Jesus is honoured in our lives, as we become more like him, we're bearing fruit. Now, the Colossians, have already been bearing fruit, haven't they? And Paul's just been thanking God for them, that they've had faith and love and hope. They're bearing fruit. But he wants more. He wants them to go deeper, deeper into Jesus. It kind of reminds us of Jesus' parable of the sower. 
Remember the parable of the sower? Jesus tells the story of a man who is planting seed in his field. He's throwing out seed. And in his parable, the seed represents the gospel, the message of Jesus. And Jesus says the right way to respond to that message is by letting Jesus' message plant deep into your life and produce fruit. That's the way to respond. That's the exact same thing we're praying here. God, would you, would you work in my life and bear fruit, the fruit of obedience, the fruit of praise, the fruit of worship, the fruit of a life lived worthy of you. And it's so wonderful. You look across that church and we just see Jesus' gospel bearing fruit. People who are becoming Christians, people who are obeying Jesus and living for him, people who are gathering in community, encouraging one another, seeking to live God's ways. The gospel is bearing fruit. But we want more, don't we? We want more. I don't know about you, but on my last day on this earth, I want to look back on my life and not look at my career or achievements or money or whatever it is. I want to look at my life and go, God, I lived a life fruitful for you. That's what I want. Paul prays for a knowledge of God's will. He prays that they would please him in every way. Number three, he prays for strength, strength to endure. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. We need strength. If we're going to try and live a life worthy of God, just like Paul prayed, and pleasing him in every way, we're going to need strength. Because I don't know about you, but I am a sinner. And my heart is broken and deceived and easily led astray. And the world is tempting me as well. And the media is mocking Christianity. And there's temptations all around. And if I'm going to live God's way, I need strength. We all do. We need the strength of God's glorious might the strength to endure. I mean, following Jesus sometimes feels like a fish swimming against the current. And unfortunately, many Christians, they begin their Christian walk a little bit like a sparkler. You know, sparkler, you light those things you light on New Year's Eve and you light the sparkler and it's all exciting when you light that sparkler. The sparks flying everywhere, going, woo! Your friend's got one and, you know, you're trying to write messages on the long exposure photos and, you know, waving them around like crazy. It's all fun. And after about 30 seconds, game over. A lot of people, they start their Christian life and it's just like that. It's all fantastic. They're coming along to church. They're excited. There's fruit that seems to be coming out of their life. And then something happens and it stops. Now, not many people wake up in the morning and go, you know what, I've decided not to be a Christian anymore. Now, it's normally a series of slow decisions over probably a long period of time, putting work above Jesus, 
or family above Jesus. And so what we need is strength to endure. That's what we've got to pray for each other at 3.30. We've got to keep praying that together we would have strength from God to keep going, to keep pressing on in Jesus. Praying it for your connect groups. Praying it for your family. Perhaps you're here this afternoon and you're feeling tired in your Christian walk. Maybe you're here this afternoon and you just feel like there are times when it's hard to keep pressing on as a Christian. And you don't necessarily want to keep going. That's a great prayer to pray, just going to God, God, give me strength to endure, to press on. Paul prays for knowledge of his will. He prays for the Colossians to put that into practice, pleasing him. He prays for strength to endure. And lastly, we should pray that we have joyful thanks. Joyful thanks. Look at verse 12. He says, Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I find it so sad when Christians grumble. There's enough grumbling out in the world. Why should we bring it into the church? Particularly when the Scriptures call us to joyful thanks. That's not some kind of naive smile when everything's actually bad but a deep joy found in Jesus. That's what it's calling us to. To give thanks is to worship. To give thanks is to realise that everything in our life is a gift. It's not something we earned. It's not something that's owed to us. It's by God's grace. And Paul gives every reason to be joyful in our thanks, because he talks about how Jesus has rescued us from God, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. And he's been modeling this thanks. He's just been thanking God for the Colossians. Are you filled with thankfulness? I'm so excited about our year this year. It's the year of enjoying God. That's our theme for the year. It's a year when we're just enjoying who God is. We're enjoying what he's done for us. We're enjoying and being thankful for the way he saved us and lavished upon us grace after grace after grace. And we're going to be journeying through Colossians. Our theme is Christ is all. And we're just reflecting and being thankful for who Jesus is and what he's done. And so I think it's so fitting that Paul finishes this prayer, praying for joyful thanks. Let's be a church. Let's be a gathering here at 3.30 that is filled with people who are joyful and thankful. Wouldn't that be awesome? People just come and visit at 3.30 for the first time and in their interactions with us and as they see us worshipping and as they see us praying and as they see us being fed from the Word, they just see they are, they are people at 3.30 who are joyful and thankful. Knowing God's will, pleasing Him in every way, having strength to endure even when it's hard as Christians and filled with joyful thanks. They're the four things Paul prays for. It's a great prayer to pray. Great prayer to memorize. Pray it for your friends. Pray it for your family. Pray it for your connect group. It's a prayer 
that we would know God's will and then have the power to put it into practice. That's what it is. Knowing the will of the creator of the universe and having the power by his Holy Spirit to put it into practice, to do it. So I think it's only fitting that we finish by praying that prayer. So would you bow your heads with me and let's pray this prayer to God. God, we pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that your Holy Spirit gives us. Lord, help us to live a life worthy of you, pleasing to you in every way. God, help us to bear fruit in every good work. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you. God, would you strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience. And God, give us joyful thanks for all you've done for us in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.